Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson. Uh, so today we're going to be continuing this series. This is Satan's America. This is part six or episode number 22. For those of you who like to go read the show notes later on, you can find those on blackhistoryinthebible.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe here on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, I don't have a bunch of followers on Twitter yet, but they're, they're climbing slow. Uh, you can get a bunch of updates if you use Twitter. I do post the updates from the website there. I do post the podcast there as well. Uh, so if you want to get everything in one place, you can do that. Or you can subscribe on blackhistoryinthebible.com. Just drop your email address in any of the subscription boxes. You'll get a free book, Pre-Slavery Christianity. And that will be sent to you in the email. It's a, a link to a PDF uh, version of the book. And also make sure you click the confirmation link so you'll get updates on when new shows and other stuff is posted. Uh, for those of you who are not yet patrons, also shout out to the patrons. You guys are great. Um, thank you guys for the support. And if you're not yet a patron, uh, there are two different patron levels, the red pill level and the all access level. You can go check those out. There's a bunch of um, free stuff in the welcome package. It's downloadable uh, when you get it as a zip file. Uh, you just download it. It has free books and uh, printable Bible study sheets and other stuff in there. So if you're not a patron, uh, go check out our Patreon page and uh, become a patron. Also, uh, let's see here. BHITB Apparel is in the works. Uh, got some great stuff. I've seen some uh, concept ideas. Some I like, some I don't. But we'll see what happens with that. But BHITB Apparel is in the works. And finally, uh, the new book, uh, The Black Hebrew Awakening. Make sure you go to the uh, blackhistoryinthebible.com and vote on the cover. There is a uh, link on the homepage so you can see which cover you prefer. Uh, vote on that. Also, Table of Contents was released yesterday, so if you've not yet seen the Table of Contents uh, for the book, you can go there. It's five pages, I believe it is. Um, yeah, I think it's well a little over four, so it's almost five pages uh, for the Table of Contents. wanted to break it down into um, sections sections and subsections uh, so that everybody knows exactly what they're getting in the book. And it also makes it easier to find stuff later. One of the things I hated about books is when you read something interesting in a chapter and you don't know where to find it because you don't remember exactly which page it's on and you got to kind of skim through. So everything is separated into uh, sections and subsections to make things easier to find. And uh, let's see, finally for this, the Kindle uh, version is available for pre-order. There is a link on the um, the page to vote for the cover, and there's a link on the table of contents page as well. And also, if you go to any of the other pages, if you scroll to the bottom, there's a link to pre-order the Kindle version of the book. It does come out November 15, 2018. All right, so just a quick recap of yesterday's show, or the last show. We talked about replacement theology, and then uh, we talked about the Renaissance as well and why we see the replacement of black um, images of Hebrews and Christ replaced with European images of Hebrews and Christ. It's because they teach what is called replacement theology in which they are the Hebrews and they are the chosen people. And so from that stems this belief 
that race doesn't matter in the Bible. They've convinced themselves that because they have changed so much stuff in the Bible, that it's no longer important to identify those people of the Bible. And they also teach that the Hebrews scattered and mixed into all the world, even though the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that Hebrews would be slaves and that the Hebrews would be taken into the world by slavery and that they would be treated a certain kind of way. They would be known as a byword. This does not coincide with what Eurocentric Christianity teaches of them migrating and mixing. That's not what happened. And I went over that in a few few episodes back. So let's get started in today's lesson. We talked about, I briefly touched on the Chaldeans yesterday, uh, last show. The Chaldeans, I mentioned uh, that they were not the original Babylonians. They came in and appropriated the culture, which is... Uh, was the point of the last episode. We are talking about cultural appropriation, or kind of where we ended, cultural appropriation. So the Chaldeans are, I'm going to call them the original cultural, culture appropriators. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 23, verse 13, and this can be confirmed uh, with history that the Chaldeans did not build Babylon. The Chaldeans appropriated Babylon and then began to paint themselves on the walls and other stuff like that. So in Isaiah 23:13 it says behold the land of the Chaldeans this people was not till the Assyrian founded it for them that dwell in the wilderness they set up the towers thereof they raised up the places thereof and he brought it to ruin. So the Assyrian which we touched on the Assyrian came out of the Cushite empire of Babel, and then they went and established um, other stuff in the area. Uh, if you want a list of those, you can go back or you can check the Bible in Genesis chapter 10. It has a list of the areas that were established by uh, the Assyrian or Asher. But here we see that the Assyrians built Babylon, and the Chaldeans came in, and they basically appropriated the culture. Uh, we'll find that one of the things left over from Babylon is our current um, zodiac system. So if you go back and do some research on the current zodiac that we use, I'm not talking about the Mazaroth or the Hebrew zodiac. I'm talking about the current zodiac system. It is linked to Babylon. So they appropriate these cultures and make them a part of their own. And so in Habakkuk 1.6, this is an interesting verse because – Habakkuk 1.6 talks about the coming slavery of Israel, and there's a lot of speculation on who is it really that's enslaving Israel. Is it, the, um, is it Esau, the Edomites? Is it the Gentile Europeans? Or is it someone else? Now, I found this interesting in Habakkuk 1.6. It says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. So again, we see appropriation. They go through and they possess stuff that is not theirs. So the question becomes, if the prophecy in Genesis uh, 10 about Japheth, I believe, yeah, Japheth possessing, um, the Lord shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, is there a connection between Japheth and the Chaldeans. So I'll leave that one for you guys to go check out. But just, just be aware that there's a prophecy about Japheth, uh, Japheth 
dwelling in the tents of Shem. And then we see here that the Chaldeans will be raised up and they will possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So there may be some link there. I don't want to say concrete that there is definitely a link because I don't want to lock myself into that position. I'm still trying to find a more concrete link uh, between the two. So if anybody out there is researching the subject or wants to start researching the subject, if you find anything, let me know. I'll mention it on the show, and I'll give you credit for it. Um, So moving on. So let's talk about the concept of cultural appropriation in the first place. If we look around us, we can see that, one, the Bible tells us about it, but two, we can see it happening with our own eyes. Let's look at history. The Bible, for example. Europeans have culturally appropriated the Bible to the point that many Hebrew brothers and sisters think that the Bible was invented by Rome and Caucasians. This is not true. And we've seen this because we've, we've read through it and we see all the references there that if it were created by Europeans, there would be more references to Europe and Caucasians, and there are very few of both. Um, the language, the English language is made up of a bunch of different languages. So basically they've appropriated, Europeans appropriated portions of other language and created their own language out of it. Uh, we can look at the food. Southwestern food um, is a perfect perfect example of an Americanized or culturally appropriated food. All they did was take Mexican and Native American foods and then put an American spin on them, but it's not an original food. Uh, Chinese food, most of the Chinese food you eat has been Europeanized or Americanized because they've culturally appropriated that. Just think about it. You hear about Chinese food, you hear about Mexican food. What is a strictly European food? I've never had European food that was 100% authentic European food. Uh, Soul food. Soul food is a huge one. Down south especially, you see a lot of uh, Caucasians that make soul food, but that came from the slaves. The, The Caucasians weren't cooking like that because the slaves were their cooks in most cases. One of the biggest ones that comes to mind, uh, KFC, you can tell he, I mean, the KFC character looks like a plantation owner and lives on a plantation. And we know who was on the plantation. That was slaves. So it's likely uh, KFC's recipe probably came from a slave. I don't have proof of it, but it looks that way. Popeye's chicken is another one. And I think Popeye's is perhaps possibly the worst offender because they have a black mascot. And we look at Popeye's and we don't see it as immediately racist, but if we look at the concept that Popeye's chose, intentionally chose a black woman as the mascot, and the words chose on the commercials are my chicken, my recipe. She says this over and over again. And a lot of people, they find, when they find out that the owner of Popeye's is white, they're kind of surprised because of the commercials. And this is intentional. They've intentionally uh, done this to market fried chicken specifically to black people based on stereotypes. Now, black people like fried chicken. Everybody likes fried chicken. There's very few people that don't like fried chicken. I'm not even a fried chicken fan, and fried chicken is good at times. But, again, this marketing campaign was done intentionally to target black people um, to sell fried chicken. So now let's get into some identity in um, cultural appropriations uh, concerning identity. Hebrews, the biggest one, uh, we see the pictures of the um, 
white Hebrews all over the place, a white Christ. And because the Bible says Hebrews look like Egyptians, now we're seeing an attempt, and it's not new. It started probably a long time ago, but the attempt to appropriate Egyptian culture. So if you pay attention to the History Channel, one thing I've noticed is that, uh, especially on ancient aliens, they will show an authentic wall of Egyptian hieroglyphs. And in the back, you will see that the people painted on the walls are clearly black and brown skinned people. If you've never noticed it, pay attention when you watch Ancient Aliens, if you watch that, and also other history shows. So you see these black people on the walls, and then they will cut to a, um, a more modern painting and show the Egyptians as white people. So they are trying to uh, appropriate that culture. Or the study that came out that says um, that ancient Egyptians were more European than African, um, if you read through the study carefully, you'll find that the percentage is like 3%. It's only from the woman's side. And they took these, um, the, the mummies that they did the test on, they took them from a very specific area. And I think it was only two out of 131 exhibited this. And so then they presented it as Egyptians are more European than African. And Several scientists responded to that and pointed out that the study was very misleading and would give people the wrong idea about ancient Egypt. So there's an actual attempt going on to appropriate culture. This is why when you get in conversations with Europeans and you start talking about Egyptians, they try to argue that Egyptians were not black, even though we can look at the wall. And when you look at the wall, some of them will then say, well, those aren't black people. They are dark-skinned Caucasians or tanned Caucasians. And we know that's not true. We can look at the lips and noses and, you know, other stuff that they painted, the afros, and see that these are not dark-skinned Caucasians. Um, so this is going to bring us to the culture. And this part I, I have been more into lately now that I've become a lot more aware of what's going on around us in society. And I started to look at culture as we know it. And it has been appropriated. Let's start with music. Music, for example, is the hugest one. We see, we, let's start with what we hear on the radio before we can get to the music videos. So we hear these songs on the radio, right? Drugs, popping pills, smoking, um, coke in some cases, selling drugs, doing drugs. That is what is presented to the predominantly black audience um, through hip hop. And I'm going to get to some of the other art forms, too. Um, but drugs in hip-hop has been huge. Um, sex, that is presented to us. We have half-naked women dancing in all these uh, videos. And, you know, you don't think anything of it when you're younger, but as you start to get older, you start to see that it becomes more and more sexual, especially in R&B. R&B has a lot of sexual innuendo in it. Peaches and Cream is a good song. It's the first one that pops in my head right now. Uh, you have Adina Howard's Freak Like Me. You have all these other songs that are very, very, very sexual in nature. And then there's the violence, the um, thug or gang lifestyle that is portrayed in these videos as if it's something to be proud of. And notice that in, in the music, not just the videos, but in the music, it's okay to rap about black people killing black people. But if you were to start to rap about Jews killing Jews, 
Or if you were to start to rap about black people killing Jews or black people killing white people or black people killing Mexicans, maybe not even Mexicans, they wouldn't care that much probably. Not the Mexicans, but the people who put out the music probably wouldn't care. But if you were to start to talk about, um, if these rappers put out songs about killing white people and killing Jews, there would be boycotts everywhere. But because they're talking about killing other black people and perpetuating the stereotype of black-on-black violence, it's okay. Now, one of the things I noticed Uh, and I'm going to use these people as examples. I don't blame them for this, uh, but I just want to use them as examples. Uh, Vanilla Ice, Eminem, and Macklemore, right there. They're all white rappers, and they're in the same industry as the black rappers, right? However, Eminem wasn't promoted using drug use. He mentioned drug use in his songs, but it was never the overwhelming theme of his songs. He mentioned drug use, but it wasn't, they weren't promoting him with drug use. They weren't promoting Eminem. Uh, well, see, let me before I move on that. Macklemore wasn't promoting drug use, and Vanilla Ice wasn't promoting drug use. The Eminem wasn't promoting lots of sex. Vanilla Ice, to my knowledge, was not promoting lots of sex, and neither was Macklemore. So when we see that it is possible to promote these people without drugs and sex, ask yourself, why are they doing it? And so finally, let's go get to the um, thug lifestyle, the, the gangster mentality that is pushed in the music. Um, we see that they didn't use these white rappers to push that kind of lifestyle. These white rappers weren't gangbanging on a song. They weren't shooting every N-word that they see in the song. I mean, this, this wasn't how they were promoted. They were promoted completely different. You see the Eminem, he was more of a – this is how I'm venting. I have these issues with my family. These are mother issues. Whether you agree with what he said or not, he basically uh, vented on the, on the um, tracks that he did. Macklemore came in, and he was kind of more traditional hip-hop-ish, but he wasn't promoting any of this stuff. And same thing with Vanilla Ice. He was more pop and corny, but they didn't need these things to promote him. So why is it that they only promote black rappers this way? So let's, let's talk about it. The music industry is controlled mostly by Jews and Caucasians, and Jews are Caucasians from Europe, but I'm just going to separate them so you know you know, the groups that I'm talking about. So when I use the term Jew here, I'm not talking about anybody from Judah, and I'm not talking about Hebrews. I'm talking about the people in Israel right now claiming to be Jews who are not. So they run the music industry. Look at all the major labels. They are ran by Jews. You have Jewish lawyers that partner with the artists. In a lot of cases, the managers are Jewish. And so these are the same groups of people that were behind the slave trade. And because they financed the slave trade and because they have appropriated the Bible and they have appropriated Hebrew culture, their goal is to keep the real Hebrews down. And so you do that by controlling the culture or the music. And so if all our kids see are drugs, sex, and violence constantly, and that is the culture they're brought up in, what do you think they're going to do? The latest one that kind of irritates me the most, and I feel like I'm sounding like my grandparents here, but all the kids calling themselves savages. It's crazy because that's the reason that Europeans used to justify killing us and the Native Americans in the first place. That's the reason they used to justify enslaving us is because they called us savages, and now 
basically the black youth are trying to reverse everything that was fought for and accomplished during the civil rights movement and other movement. They no longer call us savages. And so now the kids are now calling themselves savages for them. So when they are now shot by police, they can use that excuse when they go to a song and said, Oh, here it is right here. He says he's a savage. He says he has guns. He says he does drugs. He says he's a womanizer. They can use all these things against us through the music. That's why when you see like a black person murdered by police, the first thing they do is um, the Botham John, for example, the first thing they did was went into his apartment and found drugs, supposedly. I doubt it, but they went there and found drugs as if the drugs justify it. So these are things you need to be aware of. Uh, the next thing we'll talk about is the wardrobe part of it. So when you see the music videos, what do you see? You see the sagging pants or now they're feminizing uh, the black man, skinny jeans and skirts and hip hop, uh, fingernail polish, uh, bisexuality, transgender. They have all this stuff going on in hip hop right now, lesbianism, everything you could possibly think of. But yet we don't see positive rappers. There are doctors and lawyers that rap. Some of them are pretty good. There are lots of underground rappers who have a positive message. And I'll give you um, one that uh, independent rapper, he's not really underground, uh, but David Banner. I just listened to David Banner's God Box. Finally, it's been out for about a year and a half, but I finally listened to God Box. God Box is probably the wokest album I've ever heard in my life, and it's really, really good. Beats, lyrics, everything. And it has a pro-black message, and yet David Banner isn't getting mainstream push. I haven't heard any of the songs on the radio. Why? Because he's not teaching, he's not teaching our youth that drugs, sex, and violence is the way. And he has in the past, and he admits to that. Um, but he has changed his image a lot, and he's become more of an activist. But that kind of music is not getting pushed. So if you like good music that's positive, uh, David Banner's one to check out. Uh, he does um, use bad language in his music. Um, it doesn't bother me. So if it bothers you, you may not want to listen to it. But if it doesn't bother you, it's um, very good, actually. Uh, it's called The God Box, which is the latest one. So another thing they do is, in, other than the way we dress, now remember, this is in black culture. These people have um, uh, wardrobe consultants and um, stylists and stuff that tell them how they have to dress for the label. So a lot of times when you see these rappers going out um, in public, and doing videos and stuff like that, they have somebody that's dressing them to appeal to a certain crowd and portray a certain image. Another one is the half-naked women, which I mentioned earlier. They throw all of our black women on screen, half-naked, gyrating, and sexualizing the black women. Now, they do this to a degree in some of the um, white whiter art forms, I'll say it that way, because uh, we know that blues and, you know, some of those stuff, country music stuff that they've stolen from us and they do isn't necessarily their art form. It's something else that they appropriated, but they only do it to a degree. They, they always do it to our women, even some of the pop stars. Look at Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, all of them. Even the main ones are over-sexualized. Uh, they emphasize bling over investing. Uh, they show us, you know, you got to get the jewelry and the cars. You got to go after the bag. You got to do all this. But they don't never talk about what to do with it after. They don't talk about jumping into stocks and bonds or investing it. They don't teach us about residual income. They teach us that you're supposed to go buy out the bar, get all the liquor so you can get all the women so that you can be seen as that guy or that girl. So these are the things that they 
want us to believe we need to do. And so you see that a lot of kids idolize this. They get a lot of money. They don't want to invest it. They want to go spend it. People get their tax returns. They go buy a new car. And then the car gets repoed a year later because they can't keep up on the bills. So now they're out of the tax return money. They don't have a car. Their credit is messed up. And this is because they're trying to idolize that lifestyle. Now, imagine if they saw something different on TV and in music videos and stuff like that. It would be a whole different uh, ball game, which is going to bring us to movies and TV. We see the stereotypical black roles on um, TV. And Key and Peele, they bother me. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, Peele, I like him a little more than I like Key. Uh, but it's something about those two that just it bothers me. So we see that they kind of play the, I want to say the menstrual roles, where they, it seems like they cater to entertaining uh, white people. Now, some of you may agree, may not agree, uh, but if you really pay attention to their body of work, you'll see that there's a difference. Uh, the driving Miss Daisy sort of roles or the slave roles. If you notice in Hollywood, we get a ton of slave movies. We get a ton of slave movies. We get a ton of gangster movies. Um, I just watched Superfly, which was really a good movie. Um, but people, our people are always portrayed as pimps and hustlers and drug dealers. And in the movie, like everybody's a pimp, hustler, or drug dealer in this movie, except for the two, co the cops are white, but they're crooked cops. So like nobody really has a good role in any of these movies, but every single black person in the movie Superfly is a bad guy. Every single one. There wasn't one good black person that I could think of in that movie. So we get movies like that, or we get Nat Turner, or we get um, TV shows like Underground, which was very good. Uh, we get Roots. We get Roots rebooted. I mean, we get all these movies to remind us that we're slaves or that all we can be is drug dealers or basketball players. We got like I think there's two new uh, shows on Netflix. One, one's a movie, one's a TV show about black basketball players. There's one about a black female wrestler. I mean, these shows just are basically saying all we can be is entertainers and in some capacity, whether it be sports or music. And then when you have a, a, leading, um, a leading black woman part, her counterpart or her husband or her love interest is always, almost always a white male with the exception of the show Blackish and maybe a couple of others. Uh, Being Mary Jane comes to mind, uh, where she's sleeping with all kinds of men. They have to either be promiscuous or an adulteress, or they have to be married to a white male in order for this uh, role to work. Uh, let's see here. The black men, again, I mentioned we get roles like thugs and gangsters. We get absentee father roles. We get the roles of hustlers. Uh, in the original Birth of a Nation, if you recall, they uh, cast the black man as a rapist, um, like a rapist, villainous type. And so we get stereotypes and all this. So this is the projection that we see. And again, Jews and Europeans control the movie and TV industry. So there's a certain way you have to act. Look at Steve Harvey. Look at how his talk show does not cater to black people. He's a black man. His, his old TV show, The Steve Harvey Show, did cater to a lot of black people, but then when he blew up, that started to change, with the exception of Family Feud. I think everybody loves Family Feud. Um, to me, Kevin Hart is starting to go in that direction. Look at some of his old work, like Paper Soldiers, that was predominantly black, and now he's on shows like TKO that has a predominantly not black crowd. Um, some of his work is starting to shift. And I don't knock them for it per se. It's just something that I've noticed. 
that um, goes on with the movie and TV industry. I don't knock Kevin Hart for, you know, going out there and doing his craft um, because he is nothing that says he can only cater to black people. It just seems that the, the higher up they get, the more they start to change and cater less towards a black audience and more towards a white audience as if they're, get, you know, abandoning, them, abandoning the roots that they started with. So uh, Europeans have appropriated and now control what we perceive to be black culture, the music we listen to, the movies we see, the way we dress, um, the way we spend our money, because they want us to believe that this is the lifestyle we should have, when in reality, they're taking all that money that they're making off of us, and they're investing it in their 401ks. They're starting up um, trust funds for their kids. They're putting away money for their kids' colleges. They're uh, buying real estate up so they can own stuff. They're starting these companies. So the problem is here that in order for this to stop, we as a people, as individuals, not even as a people, we don't need to rally. We don't need to uh, gather together or start any movements. You as an individual have to make the decision that you're not going to buy the trash that they put out. You're not going financially. Um, because if you as an individual do that, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing because there may be millions of other individuals that said, you know what, we're no longer going to support rap that pushes drugs, sex, and violence. We're not going to buy it for our kids. We're not going to request it on the radio. We're not going to um, support movies that show every single black person as a bad guy in the movie, no matter how good the movie was. And, again, the movie was good. But, however, <laughs> it, it, it did show every single black person as a bad guy. So keep that in mind. I'm a lot of time for the day. Make sure you go pre-order um, The Black Hebrew Awakening on Kindle. There's a link on blackhistoryinthebible.com, or you can search for it on Amazon, The Black Hebrew Awakening, uh, the second edition pre-order, not the first one that you find on there. Uh, so until next time, I'm out. <laughs>